Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio, show 196, recorded at River Road Studios in Eugene, Oregon. Today's show is brought to you by the ever-popular, always-famous Herbal Nerd Society. Yay! (laughs) We love the Herbal Nerd Society. Yeah, it's so great to have something that can support the work that we do. And, you know, I, I love getting feedback from people that are in that, and I love being able to share more information and We've got some changes I'm not going to talk about, but they're coming up. There'll be a surprise in the Herbal Nerd Society. We Mm -hmm. try to move things around based on the um, interest of people that are in there. And and gosh, this herbal world is just changing so fast, too. It seems like it's a race to try to keep up. It sure is. It sure is. Happily, the Herbal Nerd Society is so cool. They don't need to worry about keeping up. Mm, No, we help them with that. (laughs) It's cool. Yeah, thank you very so much you. for supporting our podcasts and the books that we write and the the website that we have and um, Herbal Nerd Society is how that happens. Yes, yes. Yep. So thank you. Thank you very much. And remember, if you want to join the Herbal Nerd Society, it's easy to do, com, and go to the top tab. It says join the Herbal Nerd Society. There's two levels right now, and one of them is the year-long level for $49.99 and the um, monthly membership at $5.99 or yeah, $4.99 a month. So if you buy at the year, you, you get basically get two months free. Mm-hmm. And we priced it out, and it's a, basically I think it's a cup of coffee a month. Yeah, it's really cheap yeah. to do so, <laughs> five bucks a month. Come on! So if you're looking to you know support uh, herbalism and herbs and getting information out to everybody, including yourself, mm-hmm. then joining the Herbal Nerd Society is a really great way to do that. We we appreciate your support, and please remember, we really benefit from the reviews that you write, um, not only for the books but also for um, our podcast that helps people so that they can learn more about herbs. It's so important. I personally think for people to have a diversity of healing tactics and modalities to access, it makes the world a better place. Wendy. All right. On with the show. America's heartland may not be the first place in North America one might expect to find traditional Chinese herbalism rooted. Yet the Midwest has offered the perfect environment to grow powerful and deeply healing practitioners. Today we're talking with Jimmy Betts, herbal activist and adventurer, Solidary and Disaster Medicine Specialist about blending herbalism, traditional Chinese medicine, and social activism, no matter what your environment. Now, here are your hosts, Candace Hunter and Sue Sierra Lupe. I'm Candace Hunter. And I'm Sue Sierra Lupe. And, and welcome, welcome to, to Real Herbalism, Herbalism Radio. Radio. Jimmy, we welcome. are so happy to have you here today. Yes, welcome. Thank we get you for you having me. This is nice. And, and it's really... Uh, an amazing thing that we have you because you are all over this country. Yeah. You travel extensively. It's really kind of hard to pin you down. It's hard for me to pin myself down. (laughs) I'm really glad to be able to be in person with y'all as opposed to having to Skype in. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. Well, I have to admit that based on, you know, hearing a little bit about what you've been into and all the travels, I was absolutely floored that you were raised in Nebraska Mm -hmm. of all places. You get that a lot. Yep. Just raised in Nebraska and just went, I think I'm done. Yeah. yeah. I think I'll go elsewhere. So tell me, did you come from a traditional herbal background? Uh, not at all. Uh, <laughs> I, I was raised in a, a fairly standard traditional Midwestern uh, home for the most part. Uh, I did grow up in North Omaha, Nebraska, uh, which 
is again Omaha is the largest city uh, urban center in in that state, uh, but specifically uh, where I grew up is maybe ninety nine percent in specific areas uh, like African American, um, and then both my parents uh, identify as being uh, white and also very traditionally I guess we'll say Midwestern as well. So um, there is a different understanding of of growing up in a city in the Midwest than what many people had. Uh, and then because of my mom's side of the family, who is predominantly farmers and ranchers, uh, there was a component of both that urban as well as rural gardening and farming. Um, but otherwise no specific medicinal herbalism was included, uh, growing up. Yeah. Probably just the regular doctor's office, right? Yes, yeah. very much so, which I have traumatic memories, <laughs> the earliest oh, memories. We uh, all do. So. We all do. <laughs> yep, that's for sure. But yes. you were saying that you, before this show, you were talking about some of the background from your family and that your mom raised you with these stories because she was a social worker. Mm, yes. Uh, yes. My mother, uh, who just recently retired after, I believe, 43 years of being a social worker, uh, working for the state. So it wasn't like a private practice. Um, and her career had her working from any, anything through, uh, um, mental health and drug abuse issues. Uh, also like rural when they existed, like asylum style setups. So just (laughs) very tragic conditions for people to, to be living and surviving. Um, and, a lot of that was discussed generally at the at the dinner table uh, mm-hmm. after I got back from school. So my parents did make an effort to make sure that we always had a meal together. Um, and, and that sounds like a very appetizing dinner conversation. I can, <laughs> at this point, I think I'm also very desensitized to most things. So I can <laughs> I can eat at any time with any type of a discussion, but um, it definitely led me to be, I guess curious and hungry for what what it is that is making the system and the people that are kind of trapped in it uh stuck and having to you know work with my mom among other people who are trying to trying to make things better uh from the inside from inside of a system uh and again still struggling with that today but has helped kind of inform inform me but also inspire me to keep on learning about what's going on to try and try and change what we can while we're here. Mm-hmm. So, so you've always had like a strong desire to make things right. Yes. To, to improve, to heal on all levels. Mm-hmm. Where and how did you manage to pick up Chinese herbalism and all that? Uh, so, yeah, I, we talked a little bit earlier. I didn't get involved with, I'll say, medicine or holistic healing practices uh, until later on in high school. I think I was 16 or 17. And... Uh, it wasn't from a traditional route of herbs. Uh, it was definitely through the route of uh, martial arts and more of a, a holistically oriented, uh, integrated system of martial arts that included, um, I think we talked about earlier, um, herbalism and acupuncture, acupressure, uh, medical qigong, um, body work, so massage therapy, not out of body. Uh, <laughs> and then, of course, the martial arts, which is what was really the front um, promotional piece that got most people in the door. Uh, And then the rest of the system was encouraged to expand people's understanding of not just the martial arts, but the deeper levels of 
of being. Um, and through that was also the core of meditative practice that helped to tie both uh, like the, the the system had paths called like the warrior, the healer, the scholar, and the sage. And so the sage path was one that helped integrate those other paths together. Um, and not everyone pursued those paths evenly, for sure. Um, and I definitely found more interest within the healing realm, nice. uh, which was Chinese herbalism uh, through my teacher and then from their training with other people who are more practical application type of people too. Now on our show, we've, we've talked about uh, a bit about body work, acupuncture, mm-hmm. and a little bit about acupressure, but medical Qigong, got nothing. Yeah. Can you help us out with that? Sure. I, I don't, I'm not going to be able to drop a Wikipedia style definition just because I don't think that those are necessarily <laughs> adequate for how different traditions and different people would approach what is quote unquote medical Qigong. Mm-hmm. Um, but from just breaking it down, just Qigong by itself, uh, it's a form that I would consider sort of an internal meditative focused practice that integrates the the breathing, the mind, and eventually as a result of it, the body. Uh, and very often you'll find Qigong practices being taught that are very much physical movement based. And so some people will also say it's it's like yoga. It's kind of like yoga. It's not exactly that there are very different traditions that can be connected in certain universal human ways. Um, and in the process of moving the body, the one of the core elements of the practice is to de- develop uh, bountiful health um, through the breath, through coordinated movement. And ultimately, like the core of it, again, is going to be more of a stillness practice for most. Uh, It would be something where it's either sitting meditation. And one thing that is really strong in the tradition that I was brought up in is standing meditation, which isn't as commonly seen, but it's also something that uh, is sort of a bridging equation uh, to being more practically in your body as well. Um, And then there's the moving aspect. Uh, So you can kind of imagine a progression of sort of the sitting meditation practice sort of being like a seed and then the standing sort of being growing upward like a tree, a sapling, and then the moving uh, body when you're standing uh, sort of like a tree that is able to adapt to the wind and the conditions uh, can move freely. And after you practice that enough, you're in theory able to optimize how your energy, your chi, however bio uh, bioelectric current, whatever people are going yeah. to be calling this to try and quantify it, can move more freely within your body. You're removing obstructions from uh, your physical being. Uh, you are able to more readily share or offer or guide as opposed to trying to push energy, if that makes sense. There's a, mm-hmm. there's a distinction there. There's one thing where it's like, we need to force this on somebody else as opposed yeah. to we're simply acting as a conduit and, uh, from that process, you're actually able to use chi directed in a very specific intentional way um, to assist with the healing of others. And okay. so it's sort of there's an internal process that goes on with yourself. Mm-hmm. And there's also an external process that you can apply to others in the world around you. And there's some extremely highly cultivated people out there that can do that to a very broad effect, too. Um, wow. I'm not I do not profess to be at that level, but I have practiced in the past uh, up to my own abilities and have worked in clinics specifically for uh, like chronic injury, chronic illness treatment too. It seems like that's what you're using in your activism as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because you you talk a lot when 
Jimmy and I have known each other for a while and many of our conversations you bring up. So this has been offered as opposed to uh, mm-hmm. the kind of healing that's top down. Yes. That's something yeah. that's very important to you because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you've seen the the unpleasant results of that sort of hierarchical quote unquote healing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of non-consensual healing practices, yeah. you know, transcend what's mm-hmm. traditional or modern or whatever people are classifying. So, mm-hmm. um, and not everybody you'll come across will necessarily be able to agree with that statement, but I would prefer to ask, ask permission if, if at all possible. Mm-hmm. So. I know the few energy practices and teachers I've worked with, you always, it's always begin with ask permission and offer, don't force mm-hmm. and be willing to let the energy go and reform into whatever is needed. Mm-hmm our human minds, what we see, mm-hmm. I may not know what's needed. So Absolutely. it's not right. up to me to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's also, I think the, through all sorts of different systems of, of healing thought and, and training, uh, people will iterate in different ways. Um, you're not healing anybody, you know, they're healing right. themselves and they may be asking you mm-hmm. for assistance and that ask that consent, uh, to your ability or sharing, of practices or techniques or whatever it might be, even just being present can be he- uh, healing for people. Yeah. Um, and so just really reflecting back into that is something that I do regularly because there's so much mm-hmm. ego around these practices that get <laughs> built up because people become proficient and then it kind of goes to their head. Yeah. Um, and well, and it's American society. Absolutely. So we're very independent, mm-hmm. isolated, isolationist style thing we, we like to focus on boundaries mm-hmm. you know you and i are different we're mm-hmm. not one mm-hmm. and it so then we have ego about everything mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that's for sure i was at an example jimmy came and visited at the mm-hmm. clinic and we had a person in the waiting room that said something that was very harmful mm-hmm. and hurtful to a couple that were sitting there waiting for their turn to come in and seek mm-hmm. help it was very homophobic and um, we, we offered them a place to be where they could be out of that person's eyesight where we kind of cleared things up and then mm-hmm. feel like they are personally safe. Yeah. And when I walked in there, the first thing I wanted to say, which is all ego, is like, you're under my protection here. No one's going to harm you. Like right. that's, mm-hmm. that is not empowering in the no. slightest. No. But that was yeah. in my brain, you know, like, oh, oh. I'm going to superhero this. You know? Right. Yeah. And I mean, Marvel and DC Comics, man. <laughs> sure. They rule. Yeah. <laughs> and I, st- I know I have a, a, a nurturing mm-hmm. oh, yeah. feeling in there, but if they didn't want that, then, yeah, you know, the first thing is find out what do they need? What do they want? Do they yes. want anything? Right. Yeah. And sometimes they, just giving people space is the best thing. Yep. The only thing they asked for was because I said, well, I'm, I want to ask him for an apology for me because Mm -hmm. I felt like he violated the space that myself and the entire Mm -hmm. group had worked really hard, a healing place to put together. And that was not acceptable. And he doesn't Mm -hmm. have permission to do that again. I want to be very clear. Do you want me to let you know that after that's happened? Right. So that, you know, when you see him again, should you see him again, that we've already had that conversation. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. yes, that, that I want to know. Right. But they didn't want an apology. They didn't want, they yeah. felt safe where they were. They felt honored. And that's it. That's good. So mm-hmm. I had to put that cape and that arrogance away. Yeah. Good job, Sue. Mm-hmm. I'm proud of you. It wasn't <laughs> easy, man. That that no. just jumps right out. No, that was also 
ongoing interactions with a specific person that I haven't had ongoing, but I know that Sue has. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I was able to have some myself with this person too. So yes, yeah. I, all the feels were had. We got yep. to enjoy that. Yes. That yes. Bask in that, that glow. Yeah. <laughs> but that particular gentleman that made the untoward comment, that was just a one in a mini a mm-hmm. string of many untoward comments that, you know, he was raised to think that he can say whatever he wants you know, it's a free country, and if you don't like it, why? That's just his humor. You know, so he's got yeah. justifications for abuse, isolation, and uh, God, I'm, I'm kind of running out of adjectives and still being respectful in the way that I want to talk about it. <laughs> but it, that was the way he was raised, and yeah. and he can change. I have, I have, I've seen a lot of change in him already. Good. So this will be Good. a new thing for him to work on. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> oh, and breathe. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but yeah, that just comes up really fast. Mm-hmm. Really came up fast for me, and and in the place that you're in with the activism, you're you're front lines activism constantly, or helping people. Yes. Thank you for yep, making that change. Yes, uh, because I do consider myself somebody who can support and is on call and uh, can also take orders uh, based mm-hmm. on frontline leadership as well. As well as maintain my own autonomy. Part of it is being able to still take care of yourself to be of service to others, including frontline folks. Um, but because I don't necessarily live uh, full time in an impacted community, I do not identify as a frontline activist oh. in that way. There, there's I try to be sensitive to it because there are enough people who uh, people. live with it every yes. day. It's mm-hmm. different. Yep, and they yeah. don't necessarily identify as being frontline. This is mm-hmm. this is my community. I live here. I want to take care of my people. There's no title involved. And so yeah. why should I be taking a title um, in that way? I know, okay. um, I know I a number of people. No, it's not. It's not on you, Sue. It's just my own. <laughs> I, I want to be clear about it because there are enough people out there who make those claims but don't actually do too much or at least do things that would get money for their organization, but not necessarily to the people in those communities that need it the most. And so I yeah. want to make a distinction because I'm trying to break away from that type of model and assumption, um, as well as just making sure that people have their own power. I, in my opinion, also like related to being a hero, activism needs fewer individualist heroes on the pedestals. Mm-hmm. And we need more everyday folks who feel in sense to be able to take action consciously consensually um wherever they might be without having to be you know quote-unquote activists or mm-hmm. quote-unquote woke which is the thing that is constantly being uh woke. needing needing to be addressed now too uh, yeah woke. there's always new terms that, that so what does that one mean i'm gonna ask because you know i'm um, so not the activist Oh, uh, I guess woke or woke divism. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's definitely something that has been spread more through uh, social media and the internet as well. I don't want to get too far into this, but basically people who have discovered that racism is a thing or white supremacy is a thing or colonialism uh-huh. is a thing. And now they're going to be the top activist on their block okay. or they're going to be putting themselves on a pedestal and then talking down to other people who may not know all the terminology, right? right. Um, which I think is super self-destructive and it alienates people who would otherwise be awesome allies and friends um, without necessarily having to be designated activists too. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there's trying to break that out. There's a lot of demons sense, and yeah. angels involved in that kind of thought. You're, mm-hmm. either, you're either part of this cool group or you're not. And so you, you well, know, I think no forgiveness, no human 
um, transformation, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the exact thing that we're looking for as activists, I'm putting yeah. myself into that realm, totally. is transformation and yeah, evolution, that's... and that cuts people off. And I, I, think... I find it irritating, too. Yeah, I think that's, <laughs> that's not a surprising offshoot of – because activism – it's not black and white, mm-hmm. but it's very easy to distill right, wrong, mm-hmm. black, white, dualism. It's easily totally. easy to apply that type of thinking to it, especially when you're first beginning to become aware of mm-hmm. the fact that the dualism or the you know, the other side even exists mm-hmm. or, you know. Yep. So it's not, yeah, it's not surprising. Totally. Yeah. So yeah. again, well, I did not make up that word. I don't want to claim any of that stuff either way, but yeah, being woke, woke divism, um, yeah. creates more divisions and boundaries, even against folks who you may think as like liberal versus conservative. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, there's still people over there. It's something that, you yeah. know, by putting up that wall, you no longer have a conversation with them. You're just yelling at them using jargon yeah. and that's yeah. not helpful. So. And the conversation is really where the healing mm-hmm. happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's one of the things that you seem like you're doing quite often is just helping people uh, be more comfortable in actually making and help helping the people that they are in a community with orchestrate change. That is true, and that is something that you brought up to my attention. Uh, which I hadn't really thought about much, which is kind of cool. Oh. Like, just in terms of being more of, uh, I don't know, just sort of a friend who can listen to some of the interpersonal problems that people are dealing with as they're organizing. Mm-hmm. In addition to you know being able to be with them on the front line or helping them coordinate things or uh, organizing with them uh, protests and direct actions and things like that. But the, the side that you don't see is all of the, emotional challenge, uh, the interpersonal challenge that goes into maintaining community organizing of in any capacity, really. And that's something that doesn't get talked about online. It doesn't get put out in press releases, <laughs> which is probably maybe a good thing. <laughs> probably, but, yeah. um, but it just, it does mean that there is a need for that type of trust and support, which doesn't have anything to do with campaign. It has everything to do with like the relationship and persistence of the connections we have with people outside of uh, solely the issues or the multinational corporations or the nation states that are warring. Um, you know, we're talking about borders and boundaries. It's like relationship is one of those things that can transcend all of that. Yeah. And uh, how do we actually embody that and support those more than just sort of assume that we can just take action and people will show up to these protests um, <laughs> ongoing. So yeah. looking for the long term. And so, yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but I do that a lot. I listen to my friends and people I work with, uh, without any, without any expectation of, of action or, um, a call to action being in place. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be related to, to the organizing itself. Mm-hmm. So. That sounds a little bit like to some extent, the way that you act or move in the world is similar to how the traditional Chinese herbalism creates formulas. You've got, mm-hmm. you know, a primary mm-hmm. activator. That's, you know, the people that are really driving whatever the current cause is or the action that's being taken place. Mm-hmm. And then you come in as either like a harmonizer mm-hmm. or an ambassador, someone who can support yeah. and help bring out the the particular properties that are needed for this particular piece of change mm-hmm. and transformation. Mm-hmm. I resonate with that. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. I don't like taking responsibility in the, in the other ways necessarily because I don't live 
there. I don't right, have as much yeah. at stake, so why should I try and push that will as well? But mm -hmm. if I can support in whatever way, I will try. Yeah. So you also do some, um, you, you've done quite a bit of healing stuff with physical healing to helping people out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Can you talk a little yes. bit about that, what that looks like? Um, sure. I, uh, I guess in a not so distant past, I did work within uh, a, sort of a Chinese medicine and allopathic, I think also naturopathic integrated medicine environment, so more of a formalized clinic space. Um, and that was primarily around uh, patients who were recovering from stroke uh, or uh, various degrees of, of cancer. So it was also like an oncology clinic and um, other just chronic and chronic illnesses, uh, various diabetes uh, in its many forms. Mm -hmm. There's so many patterns that are called classified diabetes within like a Chinese medicine context. There's a lot of nuance yeah. that goes into that too, which is really helpful for the patient. Um, or client depending, uh, you know, <laughs> reword this here and there, but, um, that was a, a space that I did get to see also the impact of systems in terms of both lifestyle, um, insurance, uh, sort of the Westernized medical system too, that most of these people had been chewed up and spit out of and given sort of a, a debt, literal deadlines in terms of how long they'd be able to continue living. And so this uh, is sort of the yeah. last last ditch effort for them. And some recovered amazingly in certain ways, but not unsurprising because mm -hmm. with this type of uh, varied treatment um, and more of a, anything goes, no holds barred approach mm -hmm. to their own healing, like you're actually advocating with them as opposed to telling them they're, they're going to die. Mm -hmm. um, and some were so defeated mentally, spiritually by mm -hmm. the doctors that came before the Western doctors that came before that it was sort of a just sort of a tragic descent down. And so those are the ones that I remember more than, yeah. the, than the amazing recovery cases. But that, again, just sort of led me back to thinking of the systems that my mom talked about at the dinner table, um, the things I had been able to see more out in the world because I was a little bit older at that point. Um, and it also made me want to do, do something that was more holistically affecting people uh, than individual treatment of, of clients in this specific environment too. Um, and also this particular clinic was definitely geared and catering and advertising more towards very wealthy affluent people in a mm -hmm. suburban city. <laughs> uh, and so I also had feelings about that, that it's, I'd rather be working with folks who are maybe not as able to do that, uh, and offering free or extremely discounted care, whatever it might be. Um, and really what they're wanting as opposed to what the insurance companies are allowing to happen. If I think you all know mm -hmm. the ins and outs of that, that struggle there. It's not about patient care so much. No, it's about profit. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so, yeah, that, oh, yeah. that's more of the, here's, here I am in a clinic space. And then also from that point forward, kind of taking things on the road, uh, definitely have used various forms of herbal medicine, um, as well as body work and body therapy. Uh, and more at this point, it's like friends and family because of the issues around licensing. And mm -hmm. because I travel, it's sort of, I don't want to get tangled up in that as well. Um, yeah, but, every single state is different. Right, and that's right. a real challenge. Even mm -hmm. though it's a federal national certification. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I could go on about yeah. that. And also there's, <laughs> there's ethic, ethical issues amongst practitioners that is really hard to deal with, uh, on a personal level for me at times as well. And like so, what? um, uh, 
I guess things that I've had to, I'll just say from my own direct experience with having to interface with different people who come in for various forms of massage therapy, uh, there have been cases of uh, expected um, sort of sexual interaction with the mm. clients. And so that's like a standardized like yeah. thing that people have understood. And it's like, that's not what many massage therapists are here for. Yeah. And knowing that that is still kind of an ongoing expectation of certain clients that come in, it's clear that there are therapists out there who are saying they're massage therapists that are doing this. It's like, mm-hmm. and I also am not opposed to uh, folks who make their way with sex work mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. But when you're mixing these things up and making them convoluted, it becomes dangerous potentially for people as well. Mm-hmm. And so I do have yeah. some reservations about that in particular. Um, so, yeah, crossing those types of boundaries and borders. Um, and I didn't even think about that. But yeah. yeah. And it's just weird, too, because I, I don't look like – I don't know the typical massage therapist when it comes down to it in many ways. So there's an exoticism that gets thrown out there if I'm like advertising myself too. And I have to be aware. I've, I'll just say mm-hmm. I've had at least a dozen incidences uh, across <laughs> genders spectrums as well of people who are non-consensually expecting different things from me as well as a therapist. And I had mm-hmm. to actually step back. It's like, yep, you're going to have to talk to the manager and uh, have a good day. I can't, I'm not going to continue. I can't continue working with you. This is not what we do here. So, yeah. Well, that's just lovely. I'm I'm sorry. I didn't didn't want to get into that realm because it's really not. No, I I, didn't even know that was there and I'm glad that you opened my eyes to it. Yes, I've Now I'm really annoyed. I have heard tales about that and Mm -hmm. like in, in the state of Oregon, there's a reason why it's licensed massage therapists and they've got uh, really strong um, union. Mm-hmm. I think union may not be the right word, uh, guild or whatever, okay. yeah. whatever their organization mm-hmm. is, but they've got a really strong one and they're very adamant mm-hmm. about what can be practiced, what can't, the amount of hours of mm-hmm. education that are required regularly in each year is, sure. they're very clear about it because as little as I believe it was like 15 years ago, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I might be a little cloudy on the timeline, mm-hmm. but not that long ago, they didn't have that. And mm-hmm. exactly what you were talking about yeah. was a serious problem here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's like, again, I'm going to just restate yeah. consensual things of that nature, not a problem. Mm-hmm. But when it's just sort of foisted upon you or there's an expectation that goes into it, it makes it hard to make a living if you're trying to be a massage therapist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it also can be dangerous depending on uh, your identity. Uh, as a massage therapist too, if you aren't willing to do the things that somebody's come in and has paid money for and is expecting you to do, which is oh, well, yeah. and it's also problematic if you are a uh, client. Yes, you have your expectations, and then yes. you walk in the door and find out you weren't expecting what yes. that massage therapist is preparing to deliver. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that can be problematic mm-hmm. too. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's messy. Yes. Well, in the medical field already, we mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm conversations about this before we run into problems where you're you're talking to people about their bodies and some Mm -hmm. very intimate details about their bodies Mm and Mm -hmm. so you know just doing getting someone's blood pressure often i don't know how many boob grazes i've had getting that (laughs) or can i have you lift your shirt i need to know there that people put you into a different category already so Mm -hmm. having someone be handsy with you is just it's just what happens and that not cool with it, but like you have to be on your guard 
right all the time and be super yeah. clear like you were saying yeah. that's not what's happening and then combine that with people that have mental illness issues and they already have this expectation that either they don't have boundaries because it's been trans transgressed so many times or that's just the interaction that you have with people that aren't in charge of you. Yeah. Right. So right. I trust you. Therefore, now now we're going to have this interaction. Right. And yeah. that's that's as it just it's dismaying. As they say, no bueno. No bueno. Yeah. But it 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 is a. I, I I'm sorry you went yeah. through that, and I'm glad that you came out with just a real clarity. It's yeah, it's very frustrating. <laughs> Let's yeah, to bring that back to somewhere else is also that the like body work and that type of interaction can be one of the most profound healing and intimate types of interactions you can have, mm -hmm. uh, potentially on a daily basis. And it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, what we were talking about just now, but right. it's mm -hmm. just the value of that's so important, especially because we are so caught against one another mm -hmm. in terms of putting up boundaries and borders and uh, things of that nature to keep us apart. And so there is sort of a a touch deprivation uh, element to, definitely. I'll just speak for myself because I don't like, again, I don't like generalizing, but definitely I feel that need for, yes, human contact is amazing. And also I don't know how to necessarily approach it comfortably because I was not necessarily raised in a way where that was just this is part of how we interact in the world. It wasn't mm -hmm. super hands hands on. The Midwest isn't uh, really well. a huggy. Place. No, 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 no. My family also, yeah, not super huggy. Yeah, yeah. The population I work with are very touch deprived. Mm -hmm. When yeah. they get touched, it's because the cops are pulling them in. Yeah, yeah. Um, the it's a violent experience, yeah, not yeah, a positive ab one. Abuse or when the yeah. unhoused are sent to jail for sleeping in public or mm -hmm. some other atrocious behavior like that because they're sleepy. Uh, then they get injured in jail. Yeah. And there's a lot yeah. of um, sex trafficking that happens with yes. the unhoused as well. And it's just thoroughly, thoroughly unpleasant. So having all of those scars coming in, having a, an intimate space where someone can can feel listened to and honored and healed and there isn't there isn't abuse going on is I think that's a big part of the healing mm -hmm. for folks mm -hmm. too. A lot of times just listening is one of the biggest pieces of healing that you can mm -hmm. offer anybody. Yep. You listening know? and being respectful. Yeah. I wish that wasn't a rare commodity. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay so That'd I've got nice. to ask you because we, sure, we sure. said adventurer, right? Yeah. Oh, I heard you just recently spent like five weeks in the woods with not even a tarp. Uh -huh. You got to tell us about that. That, uh, that sounds crazy. I'll try and yeah, synopsize <laughs> it a little bit. Um I, I decided that, uh, again, this is sort of based on both my own um, desire for ongoing education, we'll say ongoing education, uh, skill development, and also the ability to, to help share uh, more solid, could be considered technical skills or survival skills um, with communities of people that I work with, as well mm -hmm. as, again, friends and family, who are the people that you're most closely connected to who may benefit from this? Um, that's just the question. Uh, and I did a little bit of research uh, in the past seasons to kind of see what was available out there in terms of a survival school or a wilderness immersion type of program. And I was able to find one that uh, was a six-week urban and wilderness survival 
instructor training program. And so for me, I understand what it is like to be an instructor and also how requirements are upped considerably for those in the program that is even called that. So, and it wasn't really for the certification for me itself. It's just sort of, I want the, I want the biggest challenge that I can get. And if y'all are going to be rigorous for your own instructors, Mm -hmm. then that's more of what I'm interested in exploring too. Um, And so part of it was done in a wilderness environment in the Ozarks, sort of Arkansas, so-called Arkansas and Missouri areas. And part of that was just instruction and living uh, with fewer and fewer items of convenience. Uh, (laughs) So like uh, in terms of uh, having a tarp and a sleeping bag and a way to make fire, um, Mm -hmm. you could start out with all of those. But over the course of those initial weeks, uh, we gave those all up. Okay. And so we had to live within shelters that we built from uh, cedar, cedar boughs, among other things, cedar poles, um, things that we had to actually cut down ourselves. And um, yeah, throughout that, it wasn't so much a matter of how do you survive deprivation? It was more how do you actually thrive in a situation where you don't have all of the conveniences that you have from technology? Um And less of like an austere setting and more of how do you develop abundance and comfort in the situation. Right. Uh, so as opposed to it just being about it's the end of the world and right, we're going to have yeah. to try and survive at all costs, no matter what. No uh, actual zombies. No present. actual zombies present. Um, and so uh, that training living phase culminated with a seven day um, kind of knife only uh, survival challenge. And so yeah. that was something where uh, we have the clothes on our backs and a blade a knife. And, uh, we had to meet all of our, uh, kind of basic needs. So food, water, shelter, uh, fire, um, fire being really high up there. (laughs) Surprisingly high on the the list. Yeah. Yep. And so all these challenges had very specific reasons behind them. And, uh, again, past that challenge as well. I thought it was great. That was a lot of fun. Um, and part of it was just being, well-prepared using those skills for the first weeks leading up to it. And that was something that they offered to us in terms of instruction. And then we were, it was up to us to practice the heck out of them. Right. Um, So it really was in a certain way, choose your own adventure. Mm -hmm. And of course they had their liability waivers and things that they put out for their own companies, you know, survival in its own way. Um, And then from that point, Oh, and I guess specifically related to herbalism, uh, there are some extremely, adept people involved who knew all about the, both the medicinal and edible, uh, as well as the more the utilitarian focused. Mm -hmm. Uh, So like if you need to make rope or cordage, um, if you need to make fire by rubbing certain types of wood together, um, what, how to choose that wood, how to find this specific type of tree, that type of thing as well. And so definitely got to eat a lot of plants uh, while we were out. Um, And then the last part of the, training itself was more set up as an urban survival experience. So if you're, uh, find yourself in a city with nothing, um, as opposed to being able to find branches to rub together (laughs) or make a bow drill fire, uh, it's more about how do you find the human infrastructure that's available? could be a shelter, could be a church or sanctuary space. Um, or it could just be talking to enough people and asking if you can sleep on a couch. And so just figuring out how to meet your needs in ways that are, you know, similar, but very much different vector of, of interaction, uh, because of the, like an urban environment too. So did the Qigong serve you well during um, both of those? Cause it seems like it would potentially. 
Uh, for me, the Qigong is sort of just part of my daily life at this point. It's a lot of it's yeah. more the meditative aspect. And so being outside uh, and undisturbed kind of just by yourself, it's a great time, <laughs> great time to breathe uh, and be still. And so I don't know that it helped me specifically in that case, but in the course of my life trajectory right now, it's just sort of one of those very consistent um, balancing points for me uh, of at least in perpetual motion. Mm -hmm. That's my still point. So mm -hmm. makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And also uh, I have found that doing uh, the meditation uh, practice does help me to integrate new skills a little bit quicker. Mm -hmm. um, and also I've been trying to do more work with, uh, I will just say, sleep meditation as well. There's uh, lucid dreaming is another word yeah, that gets yeah. thrown out there as well. And that's been yeah, yeah. particularly helpful. Um, it's amazing how many well. skills you can pick up that way. Yes. You can move from beginner into advanced intermediate mm -hmm. overnight, mm -hmm. literally. Mm -hmm. I've seen that happen. And I'm not an expert at that. It's just something yeah. that I've been trying to cultivate a little bit too. So There's for our listeners can you that might not be aware of what lucid dreaming is, can you give a non-Wikipedia <laughs> Or, or Candace. I, well, Candace, yeah, if you have, well, it sounds like you have more experience uh, with some of the practices if you want to, but yeah. Well, lucid dreaming, at least in my experience, is where you essentially wake up within your dream and you can shape your dream. So you can shape your environment and you can also try out different, like, oh, that thing scared me. Okay, let's problem solve. What can I do differently? Well, let's run through it again. Mm -hmm. And you can keep running the same scenario over and over till you find a route that fits. Hmm. And for me, at least, I've at times woken up in the middle of a scenario, which then shows up in my life three or four days later, like it's actual, like I'm walking through the real scenario. But now because mm -hmm. I practiced it, mm -hmm. I know how to handle it. Mm -hmm. So it's very helpful. So instead of the dream happening to you, you're interacting in the dream yeah. and using mm -hmm. it as a practice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And at times you can also... Um, it's like splitting yourself. You can talk to the different parts of yourself. So the parts of yourself mm. are interacting in the dream with you so that you can figure out what is this thing? You know, I've been having heartburn every night. What the heck is that? And mm. then you work with the different parts and one of your parts knows exactly what that is and understands it. And then you can problem solve and, you know, it may be, oh, you need to change this aspect of your life or maybe you need a different set of herbs or you need to change your diet or whatever. Mm -hmm thousands of different potentials but mm -hmm. you can work through those cool yeah that, that's awesome does that resonate with you mm -hmm. too mm -hmm. okay all right listeners you just learned something right? <laughs> put that in the show notes for right. further research <laughs> just in case you didn't like spending your days you haven't like you don't get enough time daytime to learn you can add to it by just, learning all night long too. there's much much more yeah well it's a I think that's one of the things that we keep learning as we're in, in doing more of these shows and finding more about things to put on our website is, is that herbalism isn't just the plants. Mm, yes. You know, it's, yeah. it's how we make our way in the world and that healing is, a, it's this huge spectrum and you were describing it earlier as a pathway for people like that is that just becomes your life, which I completely understand how that just becomes your life. Mm -hmm. You know, sure. I have, I, I, I think my house feels like this 
herbal storage container. <laughs> and it, and now it's expanding to all these other places. And I get to connect with all these people that are just as passionate as I am mm-hmm. about this stuff. And it just keeps going and going and going. So ain't no getting out of it now. <laughs> no. But if you're, uh, if you have uh, other things that you're working on, I know you've got a lot of uh, projects that you're also got your fingers in and, and interested in. Can sure. you talk a little bit about that? We've got a few more minutes. Yeah, um, I'll kind of, these will be in the notes, y'all. So um, uh, one is uh, an ongoing effort uh, with, I guess this would be more related to the activism component, but just so y'all know what I do with a lot of my time as well is mm-hmm. uh, it's a group called Beyond Extreme Energy. Um, and that's more about resistance to various forms of extractive infrastructure, uh, the systems of, of pipelines and fracking and um, also waste disposal in various and sundry communities that may be uh, impoverished or less advantaged in certain ways too. Um, and this is more of a nonviolent direct action oriented group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and nice. uh, they also have a strong affinity towards supporting frontline resistance efforts in these uh, communities. And that's also where I end up doing most of my travel as a result of it um, across the across the continent. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, another is the 1000 Year Project, which is sort of inspired by uh, an effort called the, oh, I'm blanking right now, the Long Now uh, project or foundation, I believe. Um, but, uh, it's a group of people that is trying to document the long-term growth and future history of, uh, plants and trees, uh, in this case, the, the redwood, the giant redwoods, nice. um, and probably doing it in places, uh, different bioregions as climate is changing to try and keep uh, track of how that progresses over time. And again, it's 1000 years, uh, is the idea. Um, and that's the 1000yearproject.org mm-hmm. if y'all are looking around the internet. Um, and that's just getting started. So there's definitely room for getting more involved if you have curious, uh, curiosity around that. Um, and another that has just come up is with a few friends of mine connected to, uh, again, sort of the plant nerd community. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a it's a telling of ginseng project and it's specifically, uh, around the, uh, American ginseng plant, which is different than uh, the Chinese ginseng or Korean ginseng or mm-hmm. Siberian ginseng, mm-hmm. of which they're not necessarily all the same plants. Uh, and the collective itself is called Cimarron Maz. Uh, and their website is just something in the show notes, but it'll be Cimarron-Maz, which is M-A-Z dot uh, com. And the project itself is uh, both a storytelling and music-oriented podcast or sorry, podcast project um, mm-hmm. that will be in, I believe, uh, 2020, collaborating with the Smithsonian uh, Folklife. Okay, uh, that sounds great. And so that's another another thing to be considering if you have any connection to American ginseng in your life or history, uh, as well as potentially having any sort of musical interest in collaborating on a project that way too. So Folklife, Smithsonian Folklife Institute 2020. Yes, that's it. That sounds great. And it's all about American ginseng. Nice. I think you had another thing. uh, Oh, I'm just going to. Thank you. Uh, Mm -hmm. And the other thing that is coming forward uh, is the North American Forest and Climate Movement Convergence, October 11th to the 14th. 
Uh, and that will be uh, sort of a convergence of folks from across the continent in this case. And there may be some who are uh, further international as well um, that will be connecting the various levels of, we'll call it both oppression uh, as well as connection between peoples who are trying to defend the, the forests um, of this continent. Uh, and there will be talked certainly about the, the global need for forest defense. Um, I'll just say this is the quote. This is not another conference. This is a call to action to radically transform the economic and political systems that drive climate change, forest destruction, and the commodification of life. And the website there is forestclimateconvergence.org. Wow, lovely. And Sue will make sure all of those links are in the show notes so you guys can find them pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for all the work that you do. Really yes. appreciate that. Um, is there? Do you have a way that people can get a hold of you? They have other questions. Um, I guess the probably email is fine. Um, okay, and email is just Jim saying it's like Jim saying, but J I M S E N G at riseup.net. Okay, well, thank you very much for being with us and spending time talking about all of your exciting projects. Thanks so much for having me, y'all. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, until next time, put an an herb herb on on it. (laughs) The statements made about herbs and products on this podcast have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration, FDA, and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. All information provided on this podcast or any affiliated websites is for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for advice from your physician or other healthcare professional. You should not use the information on this podcast and its affiliated websites for a diagnosis or treatment of any health problem. Always consult with healthcare professional before starting any new vitamins, supplements, diet, or exercise program before taking any medication. Or if you have or suspect you might have a health problem, any testimonials, questions, or case studies,